0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're discussing public health and the role of education, We're actually on a three-way call with Paris, South Africa, and Cambridge to discuss World AIDS Day, which is December 1st. Quick history lesson, it's been 28 years since the HIV virus was identified by Robert Gallo. And today, according to the UN World AIDS Day report, there are 34 million people living with HIV. And here's some statistics that may interest you. With prevention education and antiretroviral therapy, HIV infection rates are at their lowest levels since 1997. Young people are leading the decline in new infections, with 21 high prevalence countries reporting declines amongst people ages 15 to 24. But despite these gains, 2.7 million people became infected with HIV in 2010, and only half of the people eligible for antiretroviral therapy are receiving it. That's why we've invited HIV education specialists Joanna Harrett, Patricia Mashawira, and Zoe Marks from UNESCO to talk about how education has played an instrumental role in facilitating the drop in new infections amongst young people and the critical role for school and teachers in continuing this global progress against the AIDS epidemic. Welcome to the EdCast.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thanks
0: for having us. Great to have you. I'm just going to throw the first question out to the group. How are education policymakers and teachers enlisted in the front lines of the global battle against HIV? And in many countries, AIDS and sexuality are socially taboo and subject to misinformation. I'm curious, what are strategies that have evolved to overcome these obstacles?
2: Hi, Matt. This is Zoe. I just want to answer the first question to help frame the discussion a bit. Um, As you know, HIV and AIDS is increasingly being taught as part of a comprehensive life skills and sexuality education curriculum. So this is what we at UNESCO are recommending, and we work very hard to formalize support for. In many parts of America, um, Europe, Canada, teachers have been introducing these curricula in their classrooms for years, and this helps to support behavior change and the access to health services that have spurred the decline in new HIV infections. You know, as an American, I was especially moved by Hillary Clinton's recent call to, quote, change the course of the epidemic and usher in an AIDS free generation. HIV funding globally has decreased recently, but America continues being a leader, and we at the UN are commending this. Through education at UNESCO, we've tried to ensure that future generations have zero new infections, zero AIDS related deaths, and face zero HIV related discrimination. You know, for those of us who lived through the 1990s and the first decade of this millennium, it may actually sound fantastical, but zero new HIV infections and zero AIDS-related deaths
0: is within our grasp. Now, how is it within our grasp, especially as educators?
1: Well, Matt, this is this is Joanna. Hi, I'll, I think first we have to know that there's there's overwhelming evidence, really, for the importance of teachers and schools delivering HIV-related information. A lot of that's outlined in the research that we have done that underpins our technical guidance on implementing sexuality education. Crucially, what teaching children about their health and HIV, is, it's critical for them to make positive decisions that can protect their health and others. And schools really have a responsibility to provide accurate and reliable HIV and AIDS information to young people and to help support parents and communities so, you know, in a context where ignorance and misinformation can be life-threatening, sexuality education is part of the responsibility of um, education professionals. But secondly, and a slightly less obvious point, but I think this is a fascinating one for educators as well: it's the fact that reducing HIV infections among young young people is reinforced just through what's called the protective factor of education. Being in school and just attaining higher education levels minimises the risk of HIV infection. So UNESCO's work in achieving education for all, which is a millennium development goal, so in, that, in tandem with our commitment to providing good quality life skills and sexuality education around the world, will help further reduce the number of young people who are becoming infected with HIV. Uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, receiving a secondary education significantly increases a young woman's HIV and AIDS knowledge levels, and it also increases their use of antenatal HIV testing and the prevention of mother-to-child transmission. So it's, it's improving the health not just of one generation, but of two generations. So I, I suppose education in that way is positive for health in general.
0: What is it about schools and teachers that make them especially important in responding to HIV and AIDS?
1: Hi, Matt. Zoe again. Um,
2: you know, to answer that question it's it's important to remember that schools and teachers are particularly well positioned to provide leadership on a number of difficult subjects, which includes HIV and AIDS, relationships and sexual health. At UNESCO we work very closely with governments and other NGOs all over the world to include families and community members in the education sector response. But you know, schools are really where children and young people spend the most time outside of the home. So it's where they make friends, it's where they talk to peers and it's where they establish their social norms. That means that we have to be having discussions about life skills, HIV, sex and relationships, and just healthy decision-making in schools because it's where young people are going through puberty and discussing these topics. Um, Secondly, schools provide a safe and trustworthy environment, and so it's a place where students can get accurate information And they can even ask questions that they may not be comfortable asking their parents or other adults in their life. Teachers are respected providers of information for young people.
0: So how exactly do you teach kids about HIV and AIDS?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, there's a number of important ways that you can build young people's knowledge and awareness about HIV, AIDS, and, and other health issues. Um, At UNESCO, we support a variety of programs and different kinds of interventions. So we have peer education, we use creative approaches with theater and the arts, we use media programming and training journalists, and um, and we even do sometimes special books about the issue. Um, If you check out our Facebook page, you'll see that we recently posted a new children's book which we helped to author for the African market called uh, Buba and Zaza, Learn the Truth About AIDS. It's aimed at children. But besides these, um, we think that a more comprehensive and formal approach to sexuality education really is the way to go. So the knowledge that a young person can get through sexuality education that's delivered through schools, through uh, a formal setting, can really help them navigate the challenges of puberty, of adolescence, of relationships and their sexuality, and, and obviously then of HIV as well. Um, And, you know, school-based sexuality education can lead to a reduction in HIV and in other sexually transmitted infections. It can lead to a reduction in unintended pregnancies, which is a really important outcome and can help girls stay in school. It It can contribute to delaying sexual debut when young people start their sexual relationships and it can contribute to increasing condom use and safer sex practices when young people do decide to become sexually active. So it's this basic health knowledge which provides a critical foundation for almost all of the other HIV interventions as well. Without education, the other efforts really aren't going to have a transformative effect.
0: What does this comprehensive sexuality education, what does it look like in a classroom?
1: Well, you know, as Joanna just
2: explained, comprehensive sexuality education is effective sexuality education. It provides young people with age-appropriate culturally relevant and scientifically accurate information. So it means that teachers are providing realistic and non-judgmental opportunities for young people to explore their values and attitudes, to practice decision-making and other life skills that they need in order to make informed choices. Um, And this is about their, their sexual lives and their health. I mean, to be frank, it means we have to be talking to young people about abstinence and condoms and trust and communication in the context of a range of risky or safer decisions that that students are facing. Uh, Most importantly, comprehensive sexuality education curricula, they're curricula that allow young people to understand human biology, their bodies, in the context of their own lives and experiences. So it's not just an abstraction and it's not just textbook information, but students are relating to stories that take into account their maturity level that are more real and easier relate easier to relate to, um, and it's not just hearing advice from their elders, but it's it's hearing information from teachers that they trust amongst their peers. So, for example, uh, one of our colleagues recently came back from uh, training in in sub-Saharan Africa, where he was working with teachers and students, and one of the students related a story where she said that you know she's almost 18 years old and her mother. Had been giving her the same advice since she was 13, and so she said, "You know, if you can give us this this book, maybe you should consider doing one for parents as well. It's it's really important that young people have these resources in the classroom, and that we're supporting parent and community efforts to engage with the education sector." Um, another girl said that when when she read the. Uh, the book about about young people and and HIV, she was thinking of her own life choices and she said, I thought of my friends and how they act and it it was too related. It made me realize that I needed to change. So as parents and as educators, we can't eliminate the risk of HIV. We cannot eliminate the risk of STIs, which are sexually transmitted infections, and we can't eliminate the risk of unintended pregnancy or abusive sexual behavior. But fortunately, if we are providing sexuality education in the classroom and it's properly designed and implemented, we can dramatically reduce these risks and strengthen and empower our children and young people um, against these sort of everyday vulnerabilities.
0: Now, as an international organization, what are the challenges of working in so many different educational settings and where the AIDS epidemic is affecting people at such different levels?
3: Hi, Matt. This is Patricia. I'm the Regional AIDS Advisor for, for UNESCO for Eastern and Southern Africa, as you know, the region with the highest HIV prevalence in the world. Um, just to, you know, to go back to your question, HIV does affect different regions and different communities in very different ways. Along with nine other organizations, including UNICEF, the World Bank, and the World Health Organization, we at UNESCO lead a coordinated response to what is a global problem. This means that we can ensure that HIV education objectives are being delivered in harmony with other interventions and also that we are working with national governments to tailor the response to their country's demographic and epidemiological needs so that we ensure that we are responding to the issues that are affecting the countries. That's what makes working in different educational contexts so rewarding for us. We work in countries where the education system is barely reaching half the children that should be in primary school. And as you know, in countries where nearly one in four adults between the ages of 15 and 49 are HIV positive. Well,
0: how do you engage, then, with such diverse needs in such diverse communities?
3: Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know,
1: although the challenges facing teachers and students around the world are, are huge, um, the learning needs of young people and the pedagogical approaches of their teachers are actually remarkably similar. So, you know, we can just apply that similarity to HIV and AIDS education. So, young people have broadly similar knowledge needs at given age levels. So, what we're doing is trying to help schools and governments meet those similar learning objectives, but through content and through an approach that's relevant and applicable to the local culture and the local context if you look at a 15 year old in in Cambridge where Massachusetts where you are or Kingston Jamaica or in Bangkok Thailand you know that they, they may be different in some ways but but they're still a 15 year old they they're going to be dealing with peer pressure with physical and emotional changes of puberty so Through our offices around the world, we're helping to ensure that a 15-year-old knows enough about their own health, their own body, the risks involved in sex and relationships, so that they can avoid sexually transmitted infections, they can avoid unintended pregnancy, and hopefully they can avoid HIV. Is
0: there something in particular that educators in North America can learn from UNESCO or other teachers from around the world?
2: Well, you know, North America is, is often considered to be fairly ahead in AIDS and sexuality education, but there are still huge debates going on in the U.S. and in Canada about the role of these topics in schools. So one of the most important things that UNESCO can ask um, listeners to your EdCast and, and members of the Harvard Graduate School of Education to do is to remember that these are complicated subjects to talk about for just about everyone but that fundamentally what we all want is the best for our children, and so we need to be advocates for their health, their empowerment, and their decision-making. As educators, for us, that means providing them with knowledge and skills to become responsible and healthy and fulfilled adults. So one of the experiences that was, that was really instructive for me, for example, um, was working with the, the technical guidance that Joe mentioned earlier on sexuality education and its implementation in classrooms and as a sexuality education trainer in, in southern Africa, I was working at, at a workshop, and a, a teacher was very resistant to the idea of teaching young people about sexual health and relationships. She wasn't comfortable um, bringing it up in the classroom. And so even after several days spent with her peers, who were also teaching other kids about HIV with great success, she, she said that she was having some doubts. So I was surprised when at a follow-up workshop, she came up to me and she told me that she'd decided to try the learning objectives and the lessons that we'd discussed based on the UNESCO technical guidance on sexuality education. And she now felt completely differently. She felt completely differently about the idea of talking to her students about life skills and about HIV. And she was actually thrilled with the examples that that were in the workshop and in the document because they helped her deal with hard questions and they helped to ensure that the discussion, when it got into uncomfortable territory, didn't get off track, but that it was productive and informative for students. Um, in addition to working well in the classroom, one of the things that we try to do is ensure that, parent, that teachers are particularly well positioned to deal with parents and community members as well.
0: This is the last question. I just want to thank again the three of you for appearing today. What are some things UNESCO advises for dealing with these sensitive questions?
3: Well, I think the most important thing about the sexuality education programming we advocate is that it needs to be culturally appropriate. It needs to be age appropriate and also context specific. That doesn't mean, however, that we censor vital information, but rather it it relates to putting things into a context that is accessible for the learners and respect of the students and communities that teachers teach in? Like I said earlier, some teachers, they may
2: face parents or community members who think HIV and sexuality education deprives children of their innocence. In reality, teachers, as trusted adults, we can emphasize values, we can emphasize personal respect and healthy relationships at a time when children are increasingly exposed to conflicting or inaccurate images and messages, and these are coming from peers, media outlets, technology, at UNESCO, we try and help teachers understand and become advocates for HIV prevention and life skills programming as a way to balance the, the negative or inaccurate influences that are on our students today with scientifically accurate, age-appropriate information. And, it, and it's in a phased process. It's not everything at once, but it's as students mature, they get more information and more life skills. And secondly, I also just want to mention before we close today that it's incredibly important that the education sector engage with cultural custodians, community and religious leaders in any context, whether it's North America or any of the many countries we're working around the world. Um, And this is especially the case where there may be increased resistance to sexuality education, despite its proven effectiveness. So key stakeholders and educators, they really need to be on board in order to provide the information and services that young people need to protect themselves from HIV today. You know, that said, as an organization founded on the principles of human rights, at UNESCO, we do stress the need to change harmful social norms and practices, especially for young women and girls who are more likely to be vulnerable and marginalized.
0: Well, to the three of you and, of course, to UNESCO, thank you so much for the work that you do across the world, and thank you for appearing on the Harvard EdCast. Thank
2: you for having us. Thank you. Thank you
0: for having us. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.